Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Just a massive thank you before we start to whoever you are listening to this. Just a word of warning, we do this podcast three times a week, but we're not always sure which day it's going to be on. So the only way to keep your finger on the pulse and listen to the latest episode is to subscribe, get notifications. Why not drop us a review while you're there? Right, enough of that. Let's talk some rugby. Hello, I'm Ben James. Now, this is slightly different from the regular podcast. There's no Simon Thomas, no Andy Hal, and no Matthew Southcombe joining me. Instead, this is something of a documentary in podcast form because after 12 years, four Six Nations titles, three Grand Slams, two World Cup semi finals, a 14 match winning streak, and an ascension to number one in the world, Warren Gatlin's time with Wales is at an end. We've spoken to a number of people who know him best to build a picture of Gatlin's time in Wales as he heads back to New Zealand. So sit back and enjoy. So what is it about the man from Waikato that makes him so special? That's what we're looking to find out in this podcast. We'll be digging into the lesser seen areas of the man himself through interviews with former players, coaches and friends to get a better insight of what has made Warren Gatlin the success he has been. Now, before we delve into what made Warren Gatlin so special, it's important to remember where Welsh rugby was before his arrival. When Gatlin pitched up in Cardiff in late 2007 to be unveiled by Welsh rugby CEO Roger Lewis, the Wales national team was in desperate need of some TLC. That year, Six Nations came just months after Wales had crashed out of the World Cup in France after an embarrassing pool stage defeat to Fiji. The team was at its lowest ebb and it was up to Gatlin to turn things around. And he wasn't afraid to make changes, as former Wales captain Matthew Rees explains. When we first came in 2008, uh, obviously his, his experience and success, he, he brought in with him from, from Wasps, uh, literally going from the dark days of two, World Cup 2007 to you know, his first campaign, Six Nations, winning the, the Grand Slam. So uh, it's quite remarkable, you think, the, in the short turnaround from... Uh, the World Cup in in France, September 2007, and obviously going to March and uh, winning the, the Grand Slam. And his first, obviously, uh, game in charge against England up there uh, when he selected 13 horseways and everyone was thinking, Christ, what's he doing? And obviously, the result speaks for itself. So uh, that, that's my sort of first memories of, of Gats. What, what was it that he did then in terms of those early sort of... I think the biggest thing was in terms of just the, his regime in terms of training, so a lot shorter but sharper training sessions, more intense. Um, and in fairness, that sort of uh, got us the success in the early days, really, in terms of obviously that, that first Grand Slam, but in terms of uh, the backroom staff he, he brought in, Sean was a massive uh, appointment um, from, from a defensive point of view. But one thing Gats did do is he put belief back in, back into the, the players and sort of, uh, I, I don't know, it's, I think that from where he's had success and how he transformed Wales, which anyway, it's just incredible. You look back the his last uh, 10 years and um, what, what we've achieved. Um, but and it's credit to, obviously, how he's implemented that in terms of um, putting that belief in the Welsh team 
um, and getting the best out of the players. And he's he certainly done uh, that in abundance. Gatlin came in and brought instant success. A grand slam in his first campaign followed, all off the back of that first win against England. One of the key men that day was Mike Phillips. A deputy to Dwayne Peel under the previous regime, he was given the starting jersey from the off under Gatland. He'd keep it for a significant chunk of Gatland's time in Wales. Yeah, he's raised the standards from day one. I think um, his first game in charge uh, was England away. We, we beat England first time in over 20 years. Um, and what people forget about that, he, he dropped two of the players from that winning side, I think. And that automatically, you know, sent out... Um, a signal to all the players that you know, no matter, you know, you have to perform, and uh, to you know, no, no place is safe in the side. Um, and he raised the standards of training and, and every game uh, that we played. As Philip says, there he changed standards and sent messages in a brutal manner. Alex Popham had come off the bench at Twickenham, only to be dropped for giving away one too many penalties. He never played for Wales again. Mark Jones was another to feel the increased scrutiny of the new coach. He was he was pretty um, pretty clear that he wanted me to be in a different position defensively than what I was in, in the blitz defence. Uh, you know I was used to operating in the, in the push defence with the scarlets at the time. So um, there were a couple of key, key triggers he wanted us to be doing on that particular day, and um, you know Sean and himself weren't comfortable. So um, you know he wanted me to improve on those things. That wasn't the reason for, for, for my non-selection in the next game, really. It was um, the fact that I'd taken a, a shot to the head from Vinacolo um, off a cross-field kick. And um, because I hadn't sort of uh, been heavily injured and I was able to, you know, to, you know, I wasn't sort of broken leg or broken neck, as he, as he said at the time. He wanted me in the defensive line, filling space and uh, not being treated by the physio while the game was going on. So... I think it was a bit of a message to everyone, really, that there's an expectation of players that, you know, unless you're seriously injured, you're expected to be in that line. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I took that quite personal. Found it hard to deal with for the first day or so, but uh, understood, well, OK, if that's what this guy wants, that's what that's what we've got to adhere to. And, I, you, know, I, you know, he was a smart guy. He was he was letting everyone know that he wanted commitment levels above and beyond where, where perhaps they were at the time. So was that, that was raised in a team meeting then, was it, or...? Say that again. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was brutal. It was myself. I think Alex Popper got dropped as well from the game, and because uh, Alex had given away a lot of penalties, I think in the game. Uh, and I, I, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Alex didn't play for Wales again. Um, so you know, it was a brutal. It was a brutal video session. Martin Williams got picked up on a lot of things in the in the session of what he had and hadn't done, and oh, there was no hiding place. Um, you know, and if you were the sort of person that didn't like being put, you know, called out in a session and in a video session, then it could be quite painful. You know, it didn't bother me at the end of the day. He was trying to make me a better player. So I had no issue with those types of things, if I'm honest with you. Um, I remember having a pretty frank discussion with Sean and Gats about it, just saying, look, you know, from my perspective, there wasn't any case of any, you know, not wanting to be in the defensive line. Just clearly wasn't in a, in a, you know, fit state to be in it. You know, I was injured quite badly from the blow, but um, and he was fine about it. But I think it was more of a message to the group really that if there's any 50-50s, we want you in the line. You know, uh, and I think that was he sent it all out. That that sent, you know, I spoke to a few of the boys after, and they felt that was a big message. You know, uh, they took a lot out of that first video session. That how brutal it was, and I think he's been the same ever since. You know, he's been honest. Um, and on all credit to him, you know, I can say after that Scotland game, um, he was happy with the way that I trained uh, in the two weeks previous, and he put me back in for the Italy game. So he was a guy that was prepared to to also reward people for working hard as well, off the back of his, you know, the things that he wants to work on. 
The 2008 Grand Slam was the dream start to his tenure. The transformation had been made and more success would follow. But the truth is we know all the key dates, the victories, the trophies and the near misses. This podcast is about digging beyond all of that and getting the grips with the protagonist behind it all. Looking at Gatland as a coach, a man manager and his relationship with Wales. And the starting point for all of that is what Gatland the man is like. And the best way of finding that out is going back to his roots. When he was playing in Waikato School Boys with my older brother Rob, um, yeah, he was uh, actually playing number eight then. He was a, a chunky little number eight. Actually, a good story about him. Uh, he loves it to use it in um, uh, sports um, um, quizzes. <laughs> he starts with, who, who was the number eight? who kept Michael Jones out of the New Zealand secondary school side in 1983. <laughs> Everyone says, oh, it's in Zambrook. It's not Warren Gatlin. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, he dines out on that one a bit, which is quite 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 unique, really. They think that, uh, you know, we used to call him Fatty Gatty. And, uh, here he was, you know, one of the, the better age group number eights around the country. Wasn't his nickname Sumo back then as well? Was that another nickname? Yeah, Sumo, Fat Gats. Yeah, Sumo, Fat Gats. Um, yeah. But, um, he did. He, he was quite freakish with his ball skills. You know, so coming off the back of the scrum, had uh, a pretty quick turn of pace, you know, that first 20 and um, the ability to, you know, beat guys with his feet rather than just with his brawn. Um, and then you know, the ability to catch and pass as well. So he was he was, he was sort of ahead of his time in, in, in that aspect. Um, the way he wanted to play, even as schoolboy and age group rugby, um, pretty free flying and um, loved to to run with the ball. That's the voice of Steve Gordon. He played with Gatlin in high school at Hamilton Old Boys, with the pair then becoming teammates at Waikato and Topery. They're still friends today. And if anybody knows what made Gatlin the man he is today. Steve Gordon has a pretty good shot at telling you. Oh, quite, quite. He's quite shy naturally um, when you first meet, uh, but once he warms up, yeah, no, really warm, witty, funny guy, and um, has an ability to um, drill down on people. You know, and find a little out about them and find out what they take, what they think. Well, when we were young, uh, what they. We thought was funny, which was a good, you know, a crucial part of any team. So, the the humour, the fun part, you know, he had an amazing ability to work out people's senses of humour and sort of what made them tick. So, yeah, and it was funny sometimes. You'd 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 be, you know, you just watch your mates in in social settings, and um, it was apparent real early on that um, he had an ability to listen to, you know, work people out when there's conversations going on. Gats would just be really uh, listening. And um, I guess that's one of his traits that he's uh, carried into his coaching. I suppose, when was the sort of first time that you noticed sort of those traits and you noticed that he could become quite a good coach? Because he had a teaching background as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Basically, we went out to Taupri and um, after a couple of years here, he took over as uh, player coach. Um, and we, we went pretty well. And then he went away to um, Ireland and uh, was coaching um, in Galway and then uh, the Galwegians and then uh, was coming back and coaching um, uh, Taupri as well and bought a few um, – he actually bought um, Elwood uh, back with him, Eric Elwood. Uh, he came and played at our, our club Taupri for a couple of years and 
just it was, it was it was sort of confirmed like what what we thought and what he's doing in Ireland and how well he was thought of in Ireland and then obviously went on to coach uh, the Connick uh, team to a championship there first time ever and then you know, obviously he moved up to the Irish team so yeah he was um he was he was always challenging coaches um in a, in a positive way uh, asking you know how we could do things better and have you thought about this um what would happen if we did this um my trudy's always amazing you talk the truth about it and um when he's doing analytical stuff uh watching telly and just what he sees and the next opportunities in, in, in games when he's doing an analysis, you know, what could happen if you if you changed a few things. And, yeah, like probably, you know, um, nine out of ten of us other players would, wouldn't never have seen it in a, in a, you know, a month of Sundays. But Gats had that ability to, to see things and, and work out how to manufacture and manipulate situations. How have you sort of noticed um, him change throughout his sort of... Because uh, obviously when he started coaching, player coaching, he would have been sort of fairly young. I think he was only 36 when he got the island job. So yeah, he's got a lot more experience now. How have you noticed him sort of change and grow into that, that coaching role? Um, oh, just the confidence um, with within his peer group. Um, really, really confident, um, but still very understated. And, and probably watching him go through the, the different um, dramas with uh, being shit on by various elements of the media, you know, where um, he, he, he has become a little bit withdrawn uh, from uh, the media. And I, I don't think they've got the best out of Gats uh, out of his career because, um, you know, certain individuals, and in particular, uh, probably the New Zealand media, uh, are the uh, chief candidates in that, you know, of um, uh, misquoting him. Um, quite often, you know, f- to try and get a headline, and um, if we do it to a guy like Gats, he doesn't don't forget. You know, uh, he got a long, he got a really good memory, and so probably just watching him, you know, he's, he is really cautious ar- around the media, and uh, that's through through tough experiences that he's had with them. Former Wales number eight Andy Powell is someone else who has seen that side of Gatland. Few coaches had been able to get the best out of Powell, who had been something of a journeyman before finding form of the Cardiff Blues. A Wales call-up soon followed under Gatland, as did Alliance Tour in 2009. No, of course, you know, I think some people jump to a conclusion and they speculate. But uh, I, you get to meet the man, and I think a lot of the Welsh public, they don't really see the inside story. And I think, you know, it's the biggest part of rugby is getting to know each other. And the biggest part of it is having a beer together. And, you know, that's what he used to do to get to a, a squad to get to know each other. is just going to have a beer together and and. Then, you know, everybody can sort of let out and just be themselves, and you know that's what he's about. And yeah, he's a great, he's a great man. See, now that's the thing. Most of us will never get to sit down with Gatland and share a beer or two, so we can only judge him on what we see. So, how does the public persona of Gatland different to the one we see? Oh, massive! You know, it's the the fun comes out, the laughing, the, the you know, the the you see him with his family. You know, the the loving gets uh, where. Oh, I guess oh, that's a self-protection mechanism. You, you know, you're, you're pretty controlled and a little bit calculating when you're dealing with um, the the world media and, and probably, I think he's got a bit of trust with some uh, sports junos, but 
obviously now that you know rugby's profile and since it's become professional has has risen you get a lot of tabloid shit um that's attached and just looking for um mischief making opportunities so yeah really really uh controlled um around the media not 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 free and easy with his comments um social setting no he's bloody funny and um yeah, really witty and um, loves to take uh, take the piss out of uh, his mates, his kids, his what you know, in a, just but just in a, in a good fun way. Because that's something that you had going all the way back to high school. Because um, didn't you used to play cards and wasn't there forfeit for whoever lost? Wasn't it uh, to be a slave for a day? Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a sort of game we used to play with Wyke at a team. Yeah. So yeah, no, he's pretty pretty good card player actually. <laughs> <laughs> It's not often he was slave for the day, but uh, yeah, he's pretty handy. And uh, he, he he sort of lord it over you, would he? If, if uh, oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And at the most inappropriate times, you know, you know, ask you to clean his shoes when you're out for dinner and stuff, you know, <laughs> sorts of stuff. He'd be asking everyone to call him master, would he? Master, master. <laughs> <laughs> Speak to any of his players, and you can see that that humorous side of him often comes out. No, I think there's a there's a time when a place for a coach, isn't there, where they you know, obviously have a bit of banter with the players, and he's done that in abundance over the years. But then it's a time and a place where he needs to lay, lay the law down and making sure that everyone's in line. And um, I think that's where you, know, you can speak to pretty much, I'd say, and all the players have played under Warren and. They'd all say the same, but um, and, and that goes to the respect of every single player has for him. But uh, obviously, as the years have gone gone on, I think he's sort of got a bit more chilled and sort of laid his head on a bit. But um, you know, when Gats Gats speaks, literally, can hear a pin drop on every single player and and backroom staff saying that we'll, we'll listen. And uh, I think that comes comes down to how much respect we have for him as. As players here in Wales, and uh, obviously the backroom staff as well. The words of Matthew Reese there, unsurprisingly, Andy Powell's example is a little bit more colourful. Um, well, it was a story when um, when the World Cup finished in 2011, and most of the management went home on their on their plane. Yeah, so what happened? Um, I think it was me, Mike Fraser, James Hook. Uh, there's quite a few of us, but Dan Barr was on the plane looking after us, and. You know the cricketer David Boone? And I think his record for drinking the most cans is 56 cans on the way back on the flight. So I can remember me and Mike Ferris got to about 38, 39 cans. And uh, Mike Ferris was playing up on the back of the plane. So Dan Barr dropped a sleeping tablet in his uh, in his drink and he started oh, being a nightmare on the plane. So lucky enough, the sleeping tablet worked. He fell asleep in the wrong seat. And then Gatlin must have uh, texted him or text me saying, what do you do to Philzy on the way back in the plane? And he was laughing his head off, you know. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff we do on tour, you know, on the way back. As always with Andy Powell, an interesting tale. But according to Steve Gordon, fun has always been part of Gatlin's nature. Oh, just mischief. Just great sense of humour. Um... You, you, you'd call him one of those sort of quiet achievers. Uh, can wind guys up from a distance. Um, re- re- really witty and funny. Um... He and Andrew Strawbridge um, made an art form of um, taking the piss out of uh, Richard Lowe, uh, but Lowe wouldn't know they were actually doing it. 
because <laughs> they were that far ahead of him, you know. Um, two two really smart guys. So that's a little insight into Gatlin's private persona. But the recurring trait that everyone mentions most is his man management skills. So it's only fitting that that's the next area we explore. As we're getting into the coaching side of matters, perhaps it's best we speak to a fellow coach. Former Ospreys coach Sean Holly worked briefly under Gatland in the Wales setup back in 2009. Here's his take. I think his man management is uh, he's probably second to none. I think he uh, usually stands by his players, uh, particularly in the public. Uh, he's not afraid to tell them straight. You know, uh, I think when he succeeded is that he's given them a very uh, disciplined framework to work under. Now at times he's been criticised for that, you know, he wore a ball or uh, not, uh, you know, sometimes lacking tries, but he's given them a very simple and disciplined regime. And uh, the players been able to stick to which is important in campaigns where it's not a lot of time to prepare. And I think the other thing he's brought is um, a, a, a grittiness. Uh, he's, he's made the players fit of this world squad, or his world squad, probably the fittest world squads that we've seen. And that's given him a physical confidence. And he's a master at um, building self-belief yeah. in, in the players. Uh, where, where in times before we may have been in a bit of trepidation or in awe of the likes of an England or a France or a South Africa or Australia, you know, he's, he's made them see that uh, there's more than one way to skin a cat and if you're attritional and stick in the game and a physical, determined and believe that you can you can succeed and I, I, I think that's the, the biggest quality he's brought. Yeah. I think as well I think he as well that he's he's been loyal to his coaching staff. Yeah. And therefore there's a consistency there when the players give it to camp, uh, it's uh, better than ever, you know they you know what they're gonna get. And they know they're gonna be looked after and uh, as I say that helps in campaigns. Now one of Gatlin's biggest success stories throughout his man management was Andy Powell. As mentioned before on this podcast, Powell was in danger of becoming something of a journeyman before he hit good form in Cardiff. Many coaches before that had deemed him uncoachable. Enter Warren Gatland. Uh, he rang me up and he said um, he started against South Africa in, uh, in, in, in the Autumn Internationals. And he said, I haven't listened to all these coaches. I'm going to take it all on me. I know you're good enough as a player and I will help you. And yeah, if it wasn't for that man, I wouldn't have achieved what I have achieved in my career. And what was it about his his coaching and, and his style of coaching that that, that suited you? Oh, I think firstly, I think his man management skills were out of this world. You know, best I've ever worked with. And yeah, he just he knew how to work me out. Um, he said to me, I can remember. He says, like he says to all the boys, he goes, I don't mind you having a beer, you know, but you know, in moderation and. It's not just that. It's just the way, you know, just coaches the people, you know. He, you know, he can work with every single individual. He treats everybody the same. And he doesn't treat the senior players better than the players who are coming into the squad. So, you feel welcome, you know, and he made me feel welcome. And, yeah, he's just, he's a great man. And I tell you, he'd be sadly missed. 
Well, it's not that Powell's time with Wales was always smooth sailing. There were moments when Gatlin's man management skills were severely put to the test. Cast your mind back to the morning of February 14th, 2010. Most of the country were waking up that Sunday, still unable to believe that Wales had snatched victory from the jaws of defeat against Scotland the day before. That would soon be passed by a bigger, breaking story. Powell, of course, had been arrested for driving a golf buggy down the M4. Now, he knows Gatlin will be getting in touch with him soon. He has to. And this is what he said next. Well, I was at home. Well, I was at home on a Sunday afternoon, got home. And he rings me up. And he started giggling. And I started giggling. He goes, what the f*** were you doing? And I said, I'll be honest, Gats. I said, I was up here. I don't know. And he, he burst out laughing. But he said, I'm going to have to give you a ban. And then, yeah, he gave me a ban. And then he said, the best you can do is go on holiday and get a week away. And he goes, have you got any ideas where you're going? And I said, Amsterdam. He said, oh, fucking hell. He goes, that's going to be the worst trip you can ever go on. And he started laughing again. But that goes to show that he, you know, he had a bit of character as well about him, you know? So Gatlin was capable of diffusing a situation like that with humour. But as Mark Jones and Alex Popham found out in 2008, he could just as easily be brutal when he needed to be. Matthew Reese explains more. He can be quite quiet on times, Gats. And I think that's sort of uh, his, me- his mentality as well, but uh, and the, the character he is. But I think, you know, I mean, players respect him. We fear him as well, because if, if, you know, if we didn't, get a performance right or we weren't cutting it in training I mean, he'd be the first one to sort of raise his voice and uh, it, it just goes back to knowing what his, his track record is in terms of the success he had uh, previously before coming to Wales and uh, I think once that, that's, that first squad of players had achieved that, that Grand Slam 2008 um, we had obviously the, the belief and confidence were high and everyone believed in uh, in the way Gatlin was was going about his business from a not just from a coaching point of view, but I suppose from um, a team point of view, um, and like you say, just building them relationships with with the players involved in them in them early days. And um, the the key thing for Gats as well is wanted players to go out and express themselves and deliver a performance that the nation could be proud of, and that, that was. The, the key to sort of them early days, really. What was he like in the changing room, say, after a, after a heavy defeat? Thankfully, there wasn't many of them, but what, what would he be like? Uh, well, you, you, <laughs> you know when you had, uh, had, had a big loss, because, like you say, he would uh, lay down the law, and uh, you can guarantee that first session back the, fo- the following week, you know he's going to be uh, in for a tough one, and... Uh, no matter how how you was feeling physically, mentally, you know that uh, you had to get through that session. And that was a case that literally he was looking for for players who couldn't couldn't handle it. And in terms of just literally season by season, you could see how he was uh, he was stepping up up the training and making sure the boys um, could maintain that fitness. Because when he first came in, is he he obviously wanted to progress Wales and become a better team. And like you say, the only way. He was going to do that. Is one was from a physical um, point of view in terms of your fitness and uh, um, in terms of playing the top teams. And that's when really we started. Literally every autumn series was playing the top three, which was South Africa, Australia, and New Zealand. And uh, no one, you could see at 
the end of, of sort of a couple of campaigns what his uh, goal was. And the only way you're going to bet yourself is playing these top teams. And obviously that gap has narrowed quite significantly over the last couple of years. And uh, that's down to obviously the hard work and the, the guts put in. But again, it goes back to the the backroom staff he has around him, which obviously is a lot of confidence and, and trust in. And that's how he's worked so well over the last decade, really. Tom Shanklin tells a story about, um, was it the Fiji game 2010, obviously when Ryan Jones gave away the, the penalty last minute and I think Gatlin tore into him in the in the dress room and, and said that you're not captain next week and uh, I think he said that you'd be captain uh, the week after, Matthew, and he said that everyone, Tom says that everyone else in the change room was all there sort of looking despondent and, and feeling sorry for Ryan and you were there smiling like a Cheshire cat. Is that true? Uh, I think, in fairness to Tom, he's had a bit on there, but uh, no, I can, I can remember that uh, that evening quite uh, as if it was yesterday, really, because, uh, like you say, yeah, I think Ryan had uh, been been injured previously and had come back in for that Fijian game. There was a few uh, players being rested. Myself was one, I think Alan was another, and um, yeah, you give that. Uh, that dreaded penalty away the last play of the game and obviously Fiji kick for the, the draw. But uh yeah, it wasn't uh it wasn't a nice uh, place in that change room after. But uh yeah, I think Tom sort of uh I've added a bit on there. But uh no, I think you know, for me personally, yeah, it was it wasn't the nicest ways to to be told you're gonna be captain, but again, I think that's the way Guts is uh gone about his business he's not uh, shy and holding back he'll tell us it is and which I think as players uh, we respect that So if Tom Shanklin was perhaps being a bit economical with the truth how exactly did Matthew Reese get the captaincy? Um, it's quite bizarre really then because um, I think Ryan Jones was injured for the, the Australia game back in 2000 and it was 10 and uh, literally uh, Typical Gats just says, walking past me in the barn, uh, do you want to be captain on the weekend? If not, I'll find someone else. And that's, that's how uh, plenty it was. And uh, sort of uh, giving the opportunity. And I enjoyed being captain under Gats. And obviously for Wales, a massive achievement. And um, I think, you know, one thing was pleasing for me that he gave me that belief and confidence to sort of lead, lead from the front. Loyalty is a big part of Gatlin's psychology. Speak to any coach, player or friend of his and that's the buzzword that keeps coming up. However, it was that brutality he would show that allowed him to keep things sharp and ensure everyone was at their peak. Above all though, Gatlin places the biggest emphasis on family. He stresses that it's only when you get things right at home that you can perform in training and on the pitch. Now Matthew Reese delves into that idea here a bit and how Gatland offered support for his own personal battles. At the start of each campaign, where there's Six Nations, the Autumn Series, or even like the, the Summer Tours, the, the priority for him is saying to the players, family comes first. That's the most important thing. And uh, he, he's massive on that in terms of making sure that everyone uh, is comfortable at home and everything is working well with the family. Because if, that, if you've got that right, then... You rest assured, really, in terms of you can prepare for for international rugby. But you know, I mean, if if there's any issues at home, you, you only got to have a, a chat with Gats, and literally, he's you know, I mean, he's a type of coach, right? That's a priority. Go and get it right, and um, we are here to help you as well. And that, that's a massive uh, 
statement for a coach in terms of just making sure that each player is is right off the field, really. And then, uh, I suppose, finally, um, obviously, you went through a battle with cancer during your playing days. Was was there much contact from Warren when you were going through that? Yeah, so Gats and Fenas was one of the, the first sort of uh, coaches to contact me um, when it, it officially came out. And uh, in fairness to him and Hannah Howlers, uh, McBride, the, the in, in fact, the, the whole world shut up and uh, he said, if there's anything I can do or, or you want or if you want to come down and, and spend a bit of time with the boys, um, you're more than welcome to do that and literally support me right throughout. And again, I think that's credit not just to, to the type of personality and, and character Gats is, but that's just from a, a rugby family, which is pretty much worldwide, isn't it? So far, we've touched upon Gatland, the man, the joker, and the man-manager. But what about Gatland, the coach? In the pantheons of Welsh coaches, there's an argument that he stands at the very top. One thing for sure, Gats, over the years, have made big calls, whether it's selection, um, whatever it may be. And uh, I mean, in fairness to him, nine times at ten, I think he's probably gone right, whether that's been for Wales or other Lions. In fairness, I think uh, he definitely go down as probably... The, the best coach Wales have ever had. Really, really innovative. Um, really um, started the, um, the the one-off runners, you know, um, uh, having forwards carry the ball close to the ruck. I mean, you know, obvious development of that, of um, you know, the first one carrying then offloading as they're going into contact and then another forward trying to, to penetrate in behind other um, forward defensive screens, you know, to get momentum. And uh, opposition defensive systems on the back foot. So yeah, that was that was sort of a fair bit of Gaddy in collaboration with Glenn Ross came up with that style of play. And well, for for us that was great. You know, the, the big boys got to run off the ball. Let's delve deeper into the coaching side of things. When you look at how Wales have played in the last decade, one word has always come up, Warren Ball. That was the tag given to the physical, attritional game plan, derided by some as one-dimensional and dull, but more often than not, effective. Now, did it deserve the criticism it got? You know, we as players found it very easy to slot into coming out of regional teams. It was very, you know, um, it was it was a basic game plan with with a lot of detail within it, if that makes sense. So it was a very easy system to fall into as long as you knew your role within it. Um, and I think the players enjoyed that for a period of time. Uh, and like all good coaches, what Warren's done over that period is, is evolve it and develop it. Like Wales play completely different now than what they did, you know, back in 2008. Successful and it's really done well, should be a lot of good. 
Sean Holly's right to mention the other coaches. They too came under criticism for staying too long. After retiring in 2010 with a knee injury, Mark Jones ended up coaching with the Scarlets. In 2013, he was drafted into the Wales coaching setup with Gatland on his Lions sabbatical. He soon learned to appreciate the coaches that Gatland had surrounded himself with. Yeah, it was it was very different. Um, I think p- part of the of the attraction outside of obviously Warren picking up on you know what the players had said really about me when I was at the Scarlets coaching. He felt that. I was a good fit for the environment. So, um, you know, I knew that the system, he knew the way that the working week was, understood the philosophy of how the game was going to be played under, you know, the current coaches, Rob, um, Robin and um, Sean. And I think he thought that bringing myself in would be a good mix for that. Um, and it was very different. You know, you don't, as a player, all you see is the, there's the team meetings and the training field action and, and any interaction you get with the coaches one-to-one. You don't see all the pre-planning, all the research that goes on, um, all the selection debates that go on, uh, and obviously the tactical debates around playing the opposition. So I found it uh, very beneficial as a coach. I use uh, a lot of the the strategies and a lot of the periodization that they did at the time. I use still use some of that now, um, you know, in my own coaching career and how they, you know, how they develop the, you know, the, the coaching sessions, etc. How they, they build the intensity of the campaigns. It was it's been a huge building block for me as a as a coach or going into coaching. So uh, and it was obviously a very successful campaign as well, which made it even more enjoyable. Did did it give you maybe more of an appreciation for? sort of the, the coaches that, that Warren had surrounded himself with? Because that's a massive part, isn't it, of, of his success? It's, yeah. Is the coach that he surrounded himself with, and obviously even even if Warren wasn't there, you were still working with the likes of uh, Rob Howley, Sean Edwards, Ron McBride, as you say, and then you've got the additional staff, you know, you, you, you're going on to, I don't know whether it was Adam Beard or Bobby Stridgen or that. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, it was. The, the amount of... <laughs> yeah, it did, it did. No, I agree. He, he he's a very shrewd guy. You know, he builds a coaching team that, that have got a good mix of personalities. You know, I know people, people you've covered this stuff before. You know, making sure that, you know the conditioning staff have got good education, but making sure they've got the right energy levels as well. Because at the end of the day, the players live off the conditioners. Uh, you know, they're the guys that work the players the hardest, uh, make them do the things that they don't necessarily like doing. So, you need guys in there who are energizers. They're positive. Obviously, they've got to know their. They've got, to, they've got to have their expertise, uh, you know, nailed on. But, you know, you need to be guys who can get the best out of the players in the things they don't like doing. Um, you know, you had specialist in, in Rob with his with his detail, you know, very fussy guy around the way that he wants to attack, the areas that he wants to attack and the running lines of the players. You had Sean, who, again, very, very much, a, you know, a big picture guy. Um, he knows what he wants his defensive team to look like and then he's very shrewd at picking on one or two things that will make the difference on that particular game um, uh, yeah and then you have Rob in there who's you know, you know a little bit of a think outside the box um, you know challenges players more psychologically than he does maybe technically and tactically although he's very good at those things um, Robin's a different type of coach there's no coach the same way which I think is great for players because obviously then you're, you're touching um, all elements of players learning learning abilities you know the way that you coach the players the way that they take information on board if you've got different characters in your coaching group I think it helps players relate to the group itself so that's what I took from it he, he, he had a great di- diversity I suppose a great diversity of, of coaches um, and I think if you look at his playing group as well they were always the same as well he liked players like Mike Phillips who were 
you know, uh, you know, very good players, obviously, but they were, you know, physical guys. They were characters off the pitch. You know, he likes to have a good mix in his group. Um, so I, I think that was one thing I took from Warren. He's a very shrewd guy in how he makes up his his personnel within whether it's coaching or playing. If Gatlin's loyalty for Rob Howley, Sean Edwards, Robin McBride and Neil Jenkins is clear for all to see, then the feeling is mutual. You can hear how much affection Jenkins, for example, holds for Gatland just by the way he speaks. Oh, he's, you know, as I said it before, said it was the last week and the week before, he's an incredible man. Not just his rugby ability and his knowledge, but as a person, he's an unbelievable person. And, um, you know, I'd like to think he's left a fantastic legacy in terms of his results and the success he's had since he's been here since 2008. And obviously the development of a lot of, you know, good players coming through. Um, still got quite a lot of youngsters in the squad at this moment in time as well. Yeah, there's a couple that, you know, maybe it is their last World Cup, who knows. Um, but there's a lot of players that will be here in the next World Cup and hopefully the one after as well. But he, you know, his knowledge and what he's done for our game is, is immense, really. And his, you know, thank you is certainly not enough as far as I'm concerned. And um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he's a god. He's a god of the game and he's an incredible person. And uh, I've been very, very lucky to be involved with him over the, the period since he, he started in 2008. Perhaps the final place to explore is Gatlin's relationship with Wales. Having spent over a decade here, it's an understatement to say Gatlin has bought into the Welsh way of life. But to understand his bond with this nation best, you first have to go back to his homeland and perhaps how he was mistreated there. Oh, I, I just think that, excuse my bad language, but New Zealand rugby fucked that one up royally. Um, they didn't they didn't really even try to keep him that that well. So, yeah, and I think, yeah, for, for whatever reasons, um, um an offer came up with Wales. Um, there wasn't uh, a position available um, that suited Gats at the time, but you know they didn't. They didn't really even try to to, to um, retain his, his coaching services. So I think he felt a little bit disillusioned with New Zealand rugby, and this opportunity came up. So yeah, he, he jumped at it. But he certainly showed his pedigree. You know, when he came back um, back home because he wanted to, wanted to come home, um, and you know. He had the opportunity to coach Waikato, and, and perhaps he should have been the, the next chief coach as well, but um, that didn't happen. So, yeah, he uh, he he went over to, to Wales, and yeah, you can see what he's done there. But he triple crowns and all sorts, you know, um, winning the the Six Nations several times. So, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a bit of a blight on. Um, New Zealand's ability to um, retain quality coaches. What were your views on the job that Gatlin was taking over at that time? Because obviously Wales had just gone out of a World Cup at the group stages, lost to Fiji. It was they weren't in a great place. Did you see that then as this is the perfect job for for Warren to you know turn things around, or, or were you sort of there like? Nah, concerned? absolutely. No, absolutely, and you know, I, I remember um, having a yarn after he'd been in the role for six months, and he said he couldn't get over how similar the Welsh rugby players were to New Zealand rugby players. How they, they love playing touch, they love actually love to to run and uh, um, play rugby, and so within you know that six months, he realised that he had something to work with here. It was just a matter of of, of wrapping. Um, the right structures around those guys and probably getting some discipline into their fitness. And I, I don't know if you know how much you know about Gets uh, fitness regimes. They're, they're pretty torrid. And I think um, it was a bit of a rude awakening to a lot of those Welsh boys when, when Getty did turn up, uh, the, the fitness levels that he demanded. And then straight away, when, when he 
that Welsh team started achieving this. You know, we, we saw you know, the, the growth in their game and the ability to play rugby because of the fitness, and, and then, then the results follow. And obviously, 12 years on, Warren Gatlin is going to leave Welsh rugby in a far better place uh, than, than he found it. Um, as he starts, as he heads back to New Zealand, um, obviously knowing him personally, what inclination or, or, or how, how do you think he's going to sort of, what is abiding memories of Wales and how, how will he feel leaving? Oh, I think, I'm not sure, we've sort of spoken on that on an, on an emotional level, but you can only imagine that he's put his heart and soul um, in, into Wales for 12 years and um, he's built up some fantastic um, friends there and I guess a lot of those friends he'd call family now uh, there, so it will be tough leaving there, you know, it's, it's been his life for, for, for 12 years and I think there is a, a kinship between the Welsh and Kiwis, you know, we, we are pretty similar. Um, you know, both have a big a big brother across the border <laughs> overshadows us a little bit um, and we, we love punching above our weight in rugby and uh, you know I, I, I would imagine that he'll 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 carry back some fantastic and really really fond memories of Wales uh, and of its people and I think he'll always be uh, an honorary Welshman I imagine there's a few more honorary Welshmen in in Waikato is there Oh yeah, uh, well, when he brought his uh, Welsh team out here, and um, his wife Trudy did a fantastic job of uh, painting the town red for you know when when they did did come here, and um, on, on tour and in and 2011 in particular when they played some World Cup matches here, it was just great you know because uh, Gats has got a huge following in the Waikato still now you know he hasn't been here he hasn't lived in uh, Waikato for a long time but he's you know um, born and bred in the Waikato. Um, has a massive following, so the the the, the province amongst the rugby community as a whole is, is really really excited that they uh, that he is coming back to to Waikato and and the Chiefs uh, region. It's easy to underestimate what a big upheaval moving to Wales was. Gatlin was back in his home of Waikato. His son Bryn was just twelve at the time. That means that Bryn has now had his father working in Wales for half his life. Yet the World Cup in Japan has shown us just how much Gatland and his family have bought into Wales, and that hasn't gone unnoticed with the players. It's best to let the current generation explain fully, starting with Captain Alan Wynne Jones. Well, I think it's, you know, his success has been un- unrivaled. Here we go, a bit of a love in with Gats again. We've got a few over the last few months. But um, no, the success over the 12 year period is pretty unrivaled, isn't it? Um, you know, the Grand Slams and semi finals, Rugby World Cup. Uh, speak for themselves um, and that foundation is there and I think that's you know I was there in 2007 when um, we didn't get very far in that World Cup um, and to achieve what we have and re-establish a foundation of Welsh rugby and we mentioned it um, in the, well I mentioned it in the change rooms afterwards identity I think as a player you can sometimes get um, focused on the on the rugby and not who you are and I think um, he's, he and the coaching staff that are moving on have have re-established that um, and I think that's a massive thing um, not only for players to build on but it gives um, the country and the nation uh, as a demographic something to hang their hat on and you know <clears throat> you, you can't take that away and for the most succinct and precise summary of Gatlin's time in Wales look no further than Rhys Patchell he's changed expectations 
Well, that's it for this podumentary of sorts. We've looked at Gatlin, the coach, the man manager, the family man, and the honorary Welshman. It seems only fitting then that the final word should go to the man himself. It's been, you know, some uh, experience. Uh, I've seen a number of occasions that I, you know, I never thought I would have been in, in Wales for, for 12 years. Uh, I was lucky enough to have a couple of sabbaticals with the Lions, and and that was really good for me mentally. Um, been privileged to have worked with a you know, group of uh, coaches and, and backroom staff that um, you know we've been incredibly close over that period of time, and I think that's made things so much easier for us in terms of the synergy and, and being on the same page. And then the players that I've worked with, um, probably three squads over that period, really, and in terms of um, uh, you know, it's had some outstanding individuals and, and players that. I've been very lucky to, to coach and and lastly I just really would like to thank the, the Welsh public. Um, um, they've uh, been challenging at times but they've made it worthwhile in terms of just how welcomed, um, welcoming they've been and for me in Wales and, and just hospitable. Uh, uh, really is a, a second home for me being in Wales and um, you know, I'm going to miss, um, miss being there. Um, but uh, you know you've got to look forward and be excited about the opportunities going forward. So start thinking about uh, the next challenge and being involved back in New Zealand with Super Rugby. Just a massive thank you for listening to this podumentary. It was something a little bit different to the norm, but please do let us know your thoughts on it and if the feedback is good, we will consider doing it again in the future.